Hello, 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 and welcome, or welcome back, to the Timelines Project, a podcast about the lore and story of Magic the Gathering, an awesome trading card game with a pretty extensive story and lots of hidden lore. If you're new, then great, please don't leave. On second thought, if you're new, you probably should leave and go listen to the previous episode, which was The Brothers War Part 1. I assume that would be obvious seeing this this episode is titled The Brothers War Part 2, um, so there must be a Part 1, but, you know, you never know. Okay, now that I got all that out of the way, it's time for a recap. Chapter Negative 2, Recap. After ten years in Toscasia's archaeological camp, Urza and Mishra went their separate ways. Urza became the chief artificer of Yodia, and Mishra became the wizard for the leader of a desert tribe called the Swadari. The brothers met again at peace talks between their respective countries. The peace talks went bad when the king of Yodia used Urza's inventions to attack the Swadari. Many years later, Mishra reopened negotiations. Mishra and a small force of Swadari traveled to Yodia, and everything seemed to be going great. Then, late one night, Mishra stole Urza's mightstone. Urza recovered it, and Mishra fled. Recap over. Time to pick up where we left off in the capital, Yodia, Krug. Chapter 15. That could have gone better. In the months after Mishra's escape, Urza pursued his brother. However, he was nowhere to be found. Where he went, unclear. Urza and every available ornithopter, and they're like helicopters with wings, were out in the field, searching. A side note. If you remember from last week, there was a subplot between Urza and Kayla, his wife and queen of Yodia. I guess you could call it romantic tension, but what you need to know is that Kayla is now pregnant, and she would have... How do I say this? She would have become pregnant the week the Swadari delegation was there. Mishra was in Kayla's bedroom for some reason. Anyway, Urza realized this and didn't want to come back to Krug. Things were going from bad to worse. Urza couldn't find Mishra, Kayla was four months pregnant, and there was riots in the streets of Krug. It was then that they discovered the war machine. Mishra had brought with him this giant 50-foot-tall castle on treads. A man named Lieutenant Sharaman discovered it. I mention his name only because he is one of the few people to survive what is about to happen. Urza and the six ornithopters flew to the side of the war machine. It was still there when they arrived. Urza ordered an attack, and they began bombing the camp surrounding the great machine. It was then that everything started to go bad. The metal fortress powered up and started shooting fire, stones, arrows, and giant ballista bolts at the ornithopters. Lieutenant Charman's ornithopter was shot down, but his ornithopter didn't explode when he crashed, and so he survived. He had crashed into an empty camp. There was no one there. It was a trap. A trap! Urza hadn't been shot down yet, and Charman looked up just in time to see the entire metal fortress explode in a blast powerful enough to disintegrate the ornithopter closest to it. Urza's ornithopter was the only one that survived. 
and its wings were on fire. Urza survived the crash, and him and Charman began the week-long journey back to the Yodian border. Chapter 15 and a half. Out of the frying pan, into the frying pan. Just when it couldn't get worse for Urza, it got worse. The city of Krug was surrounded on three sides by walls, and the fourth was protected by a river. On the far side of the river, there were watchtowers to warn the Yodians of any possible invaders. Kind of like the reverse of Constantinople, or Istanbul, whichever you prefer. Unfortunately, when it really mattered, the watchtowers didn't see an attack coming. The invaders floated across the river, and the dragon's engines plowed right through it and up onto the opposite shores. The destruction of Krug had begun. The first warning people got were the dragon engines ripping up their city and shooting liquid fire. Can we take a moment to just appreciate how terrifying that would be? First off, these are dragons. Flightless dragons, but still. They're larger than a giant metal fortress that's walls were 50 feet tall. And they're like four of them. They're all made of metal, they have gems for eyes, steel cables for muscles, and they're huge and basically invincible. Their actual magic card is only a 1-3, which is crazy. These things are 50 feet tall. They're huge, and these things are what are storming Krug. Taunus awoke in the early morning and ran to the royal quarters. Queen Kayla gave the order for the gates to the city to be opened so the people could escape. Kayla herself started getting ready to evacuate, and Thanos headed to Urza's workshop to organize a defense. He sent one of the students in an ornithopter with all of Urza's research and had the rest of them lead an Avenger into battle. Urza's Avengers were an automaton that Urza created to defend Yodia. I think they were giant robots with backward knees, but I'm not entirely sure what they look like. I'm pretty sure that's what they are. Thanos then went to where Ashnod was being held captive. He convinced her to help him and the Queen escape. The Avengers managed to slow the dragon engines down long enough for the Ornithopter and the Queen to escape. On the way, Ashnod ran into the Quadir, who is the leader of the Swadari, or the desert tribe that uh, Mishra's been with. He was leading the assault on the castle. Ashnod killed the Quadir, Krug was leveled, and Urza wasn't even in Yodia at the time. Chapter 16 Aftermath Cast this spell only from your graveyard, then exile it. It took Urza a month to finally make it to the wreckage of Krug. Thanos, Kayla, Mishra, and the Ornithopter were all long gone by then. From one of the boys who had survived the destruction of Krug, Urza learned that an ornithopter carrying all his work had survived and made it back to the coast of Yodia. Chapter 16 and a half, Demon Out of Your Closet So far, there have been two main plot lines, Urza and Mishra. Today, we're going to throw in another one. Do you guys remember those weird dreams Mishra was having with like a metal demon? And stuff, like the weird fever dreams from when he was in Phyrexia. And so it turns out that weird metal demon dude, he's actually real. 
there was this group of cultists called the Brotherhood of Geeks, and they worshipped this machine god who we will learn about in the future. They started to get dreams that directed them to the caverns of Coilos. Coilos was the Thran capital um, and where the brothers got the Might Stone and the Weak Stone. The Brotherhood activated the portal that went to Phyrexia. Gix was not their machine god, but he was like, like an archangel to them. They opened the portal and let Gix back into Dominaria. Chapter 17, The Antiquities War Before I talk about Mishra, I wanted to make it clear that the next two chapters are set up for the coming conflict. It gets a bit rambly, but stick with me, I promise most of it is somewhat important. It took us 17 chapters, but we're finally here, the actual start of the Brothers' War. I promise the title of the last episode wasn't meant to be clickbait. The book is called The Brothers' War, and an argument can be made that Urza and Mishra's war really began the moment Urza hit Mishra that day, nine years previously. By the way, for anyone who wants to keep track, it's actually only 29 AR, which means the brothers are both 29, which seems crazy to me because it, it feels like they're both like 50 or something. The war lasts from 29 to 63 AR, which is an impressively long time to be fighting. What was I supposed to be talking about again? Oh, right. Mishra finally had his own workshop. It was in the foothills of a range of mountains called the Kerr Ridge, looking out on the desert. The Kerr Ridge divided the land controlled by Mishra from the land controlled by Urza, and so was quite important during the war. The workshop itself was in a grove of giant oak trees. Think sequoias, so much bigger. If a sequoia is a house, these trees are hotels. And there were a whole grove of these monolithic trees. And they were just, they're, they're all over the place. And Mishra hollowed out one of these trees and had foundries and forges set up all around them and throughout the grove. And of course, the forges produced all kinds of pollution. Imagine seeing trees as old as the hills and saying, I'm going to hollow those out and produce machines to fight my brother over some sparkly stone. That's basically the brothers' war in a nutshell. See that nature over there? Burn it to the ground. I want my brother's shiny stone. All right, rant over. Now that Mishra had a base of operations, he started raiding a broken Yodia, taking anything of possible value, mostly books. With all this wealth and resources, Mishra began to construct dragon engines. The only problem is... Trying to recreate Phyrexian artifice is hard, as Mishra soon learned. The dragon engines were basically living creatures. And, you know, that's just making machines alive is just very, very difficult. Mishra did his best, and by the end of the war, his engines, though not as cool or as deadly as the real thing, were still a sight to behold. Chapter 18, Urzatron It was three years after the fall of Krug, and I mean fall in a literal sense. All but the walls had collapsed. After observing the wreckage of Krug, Urza made his way to Argive, the country he was originally from. 
Um, now, before I tell you about what Urza was doing, I just noticed this recently. Uh, there was a card in the Return to Dominaria called Traxos, Scourge of Krug. Now, this is really cool because I'm pretty sure Traxos is actually one of the dragon engines from Phyrexia that Mishra brought along to destroy Krug. And it's still around. I think this may be the original dragon engine, which is awesome. If you can see from the art, this thing is ginormous. Like, huge. Which means Krug also must have been a pretty big city. Um, so this is just something I noticed and thought was cool. Just wanted to let you guys know. Alright. In Argive, Urza built Urza's Tower. It was in a misveiled valley, in the foothills of the Kerr Ridges. In fact, it was fairly close to Mishra's workshop, but it was on the opposite side of the mountain range. After three years of hard travel, Tanos, the queen, and the queen's son, Harbin, had finally made it to Urza's Tower. Harbin had been born in the middle of a typhoon on the coast of Yodia. He was now two and a half. When they finally arrived at Urza's fortress, they were promptly attacked. As they approached the tower, six constructs stepped out of the mist. I've always pictured them as looking like the fossil Pokemon, Kab Kabutops, Kab Kabutops, but all shiny and metal. Lucky for Kayla and Harbin, Thanos had prepared for an attack, though not from Urza, just in general. Thanos had discovered what is described as primal clay. It's like magic clay, and I think it might be flowstone, which will be important in, like, Eight books, maybe more. Thanos had shaped the primal clay around metal frames, and they proceeded to beat the ever-living Phyrexia out of Urza's beetle robots. Because whenever one of those things got stabbed, all the clay just reformed around the wound. Urza, up on his high tower, realized what was happening and called off his beetle soldiers. What followed was a happy reunion. Urza was pleased to see Thanos but still thought Harbin was Mishra's son, not his. Thanos convinced him otherwise. They all lived happily ever after. Well, ever after, yes. Happily is the part I'm not so sure about. Chapter 19 Phyrexia's Exchange Program Hey guys, you remember... Gix, right? Uh, he's he's still here. He's executing his master plan, which is executing Mishra. Gix used the Brotherhood of Gix as his eyes in the world. Through them, he learned of Urza and Mishra. Mishra was the one he was most concerned about, as it was Mishra who had stolen the dragon engines from Phyrexia. Gix's original intent when he entered Dominaria was just to kill Mishra and take back the dragon engines. But soon he learned through his spies of Mishra's weak stone and Urza's might stone. Gix knew these stones were important for some reason, though he was unsure of what the reason actually was. Gix approached his problem logically and deemed that he must have the stones for Phyrexia. And so, he dispatched the Brotherhood of Gix to infiltrate the brothers' lives. Then, when the time was right, they would summon Gix and he would claim what was Phyrexia's or Phyrexia.
chapter 20. Well, yes, but actually no. I forgot to mention in chapter 17, but Ashnod had some ideas about ways to create warriors to defeat Urza. Mishra gave her permission to begin experimentations. After many months, Ashnod returned with an amalgamation known as a transmongrant. Imagine Frankenstein, but smaller, more vicious, and made of a bunch of humans smushed together. Ashnod's process was to kill the future transmongrant, then dissect it. She removed anything that wasn't required, like the ability to think for itself, or compassion, and she turned it into a killing machine capable, capable of taking only the most basic orders. The basic prototype disarmed three of Mishra's most elite guard, so Mishra provided Ashnod with more resources to make an army of transmongrants. Alright, now we've caught up with ourselves, so this is back to actual chapter 20. After a year, they were ready for use in the field, just in time for Mishra, who was going to make the first move in the war. Despite complaints from the desert tribe chieftains, Ashna was made general of the combined army of, a prototype, dra of prototype dragon engines and transmongrants and normal humans. One of the dragons was sent to distract Urza's troops, while the main force headed through a pass in the Kerr Ridges through Corliss. If you'll remember, Corliss was one of the coastal countries that was part of the first not-so-peaceful peace talks. Unfortunately, the main force was spotted by a patrolling ornithopter about halfway through the Kerr Ridges. Ashnod decided to leave the dragon engines behind in the interest of time. The two armies met in the upper core valley sometime in the morning. Both armies had similar strategies. They would conceal arti artificial warriors behind a thin line of human warriors, then surprise the enemy and have cavalry sweep in and crush the opposing forces in a three-pronged attack. Urza's hidden troops were the new beetle warriors known as the Yodian soldiers and Tanos's primal claimant. Ashnod's concealed forces were transmongrants. The claymen pr proved to be too much for the transmongrants, but the battle would have been saved by a cavalry charge. But when Ashnod gave the order to attack, the cavalry broke and retreated. The person who was leading the cavalry, ca cavalry was one of the leaders from another tribe under Mishra. He had ignored the signal to charge in an attempt to sabotage Ashnod. What could have been a victory on Mishra's side was a crushing defeat. And so, the first conflict of many was at an end. Chapter 21 Oh look, another one. Right now, we have three different plotlines happening at the same time. There is the Urza plotline, the Mishra plotline, and the Gex plotline. And now we're going to throw in another one, just for funsies. Instead of choosing the genocide or neutral runs, some people choose the pacifist run. One of those peoples is a young woman named Lauren. Don't remember her? Don't worry, she has no real significance anyway. But all the fourth plotline is from her perspective, so I have no choice but to include her. She was one of Toscasia's students from Chapter 1, which was like three weeks ago for me, so I kind of forgot about her too. 
Lauren didn't like either of the brothers, and so in an attempt to escape them, she traveled to the far-off city of Theresier City. Not, wait, no, not Theresier, Theresia. It's Theresia City. Theresia City was surrounded by giant white walls with four towers at each cardinal point. The entire city was also covered by a giant glass dome roof, which kind of makes it the world's biggest indoor mall. Lauren had been invited to the city by a lady called the Archimandrite. Her real name is never given. Lauren was met at the gate by a man named Felden. Anyone? Felden's cane. Uh, he got a card in the 2014 Commander set. If you can't tell, I like Commander. It's my favorite format. Um, his card, Felden of the Third Path, is a reference to the Third Path, which is the name of the pacifist group that Lauren is about to join. You see, the people in Theresier City didn't want to join either side of the Brothers' War, and so they chose the Third Path, which is a pacifist group. I'm just repeating myself at this point, but you get the idea. There, It's the Third Path. There, yeah... It, it's the third path. The, it's the fourth path from our perspective because there's also Gix who is playing both sides against each other. Um, and then there's Urza and Mishra. And uh, I'm just rambling at this point. But, you know, you, you get the idea. The core members of the group were the Archimandrite, Felden, and the two co-founders of the College of Latnam. Um, Latnam is a tiny little island off the coast of Theresier, the western coast of Theresier. And those founders were named Drafna and Herkel. And, of course, there was Lauren herself. She was also one of the main founders of, uh, the Third Path. Um, now we must leave the Third Path in their pursuit of neutrality and hand the mic over to Urza. Chapter 22, Urza's Contact Lenses. Urza was officially made Lord High Artificer and Lord Protector of the Combined Kingdoms of Argive and Corlys. It's a pretty good title. Thanos was made Chief Scholar and officially stepped out of his role as Apprentice. They had an incredibly long ceremony. All you really need to know is Urza has almost unlimited access to every resource Argive and Corlys have to offer. Chapter 23, He Protect, He Attack. But most importantly, it was time for Gix to make his move. Kill Mishra and take the Dragon Engines back for Phyrexia. Mishra was moving his base of operations, and it would be more difficult once he moved. The Brotherhood summoned Gix with some weird ritual thing where they, like, formed a pentagram. Um, cause magic, magic had some, you know... They were kind of weird back in the day. Uh, Gix then gained unblockable until end of turn and floated right into Mishra's throne room. Hajar, yeah, you remember him. He was Mishra's friend and uh, helped him become the tutor of the now-dead Quadir. He became Mishra's bodyguard after um, Mishra became the Quadir when the other Quadir died. Um, yeah, he's still here, actually. Um, lucky for him, he fell asleep while he was guarding Mishra because he's got a tough job. 
uh, and if he hadn't fallen asleep, Gix would have killed him. Hajar was asleep, and so when Gix floated into the room, he didn't slit his throat. Gix floated over to Mishra and attempted to kill him, but Mishra's weak stone sensed him and repelled him. The weak stone appears to be um, sentient, and I will cover this in another um, video about the Mishra's weak stone and Urza's might stone being sentient forces that can sense danger. Um, but I'm not going to talk about it now. All you need to know is the weak stone sentient and stopped Gix from killing Mishra. Gix was unable to physically harm the brothers and resolved to control their war and kill the victor. It is at this point, or soon after Ashnod is banished, that I believe Mishra was Phyrexianized. We will come to Ashnod's banishment part, but suffice it to say that in Urza and Mishra's final battle, Mishra was no longer human. This is almost definitely Gix's doing. The third path was growing, slowly but surely. They had many scholars and scribes join them from all over the continent, including a including a group of artifact artifact fanatics known as the Brotherhood of Gix. They're probably, you know, unimportant. Prob probably. During the years of study, Feldon discovered an artifact called the Golgothian Silex. What is the Golgothian Silex? Well, it's a, it's a Silex. It looks like a shallow bowl, like the remnants from, I believe, yeah, Mesopotamia, like their shallow bowl-looking things that they dig up. It looks like that. And it's like got a bunch of runes and inscriptions on its outer rim. Outer and inner rim. The inscriptions were in different languages, but the gist of what it was saying was, Step 1. Fill with memories of the land. Step 2. End all of existence. Memories of the land? Well, that sounds like tapping land for mana. Indeed, that is what it was, because apparently that is how it worked. You would summon energy from the land through the memories of the land, which means you can technically tap mana from Dominaria when you were over on, like, Ravnica, which doesn't really make sense, but, you know, I'm going to cover that in another episode, just like the, uh, uh, Weakstone being sentient. This is all going to be more supplemental content, because that's, it's, it's lots of fun. If you guys have ideas for other supplemental content that I can do, just let me know in any way you can. I'll have, like, links or something that you can contact me. But, uh, let's see. Where was I? Oh, right. The people on Teresier were only just figuring out what magic was, and the scholars of the Third Path named this new power Mana. Chapter 25, the most deadly game of Capture the Flag ever. Thanos, Urza's ex-apprentice and the chief scholar of the combined kingdoms of Argive and Corlys, had been captured. He had led an attack into Yodia, then continued on heading straight toward Mishra's main base of operations. About halfway there, his army was overwhelmed and Thanos was captured. I thought now would be a great time to review the forces that Urza and Mishra were using at this point in the war. On Urza's side, 
were human soldiers, ornithopters, ornithopters, which are just ornithopters that carry bombs, um, the beetle-like Yodian soldiers, Avenger uh, automatons, including a new Sentinel style that I guess just, like, is more heavily armored but slower. Um, there were more mobile fortresses called Tristel Triskelions, which I guess were, like, tanks. I have pictures of them. Um, they have a magic card. They're, they're like tanks but vertical. Um, there were clockwork avens, which are just metal birds. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess this up. Tetravus. Um, oh, yes, right. The clockwork avens were able to s sense um, air movement around them and so could basically dodge any attack as long as it was, wasn't moving too fast. And they were used to take out flying enemies. I'm not fully sure what the Tetravus are, um, but they could fly, and they could split into four parts, each capable of moving independently. So, like Voltron, but smaller. Yeah. Then, on Mistress' side, there were a few heavily armored human soldiers. Most of them were either dead, or they were transmongrants. Um... Dragon engines, which um, Mishra had made better, um, so they were now sleeker, less bulk, bulkier. Uh, he also made winged versions of them. And then finally, there were groundbreakers, and they're like landmines, but like, like they wouldn't explode. They just kind of like freaked out and tried to bite your ankles off, and they would emit a, and they would emit emit a, um, piercing shriek that they could use to signal, um, reinforcements that there was people. So, yeah, those are all the machines that are fighting in the war. Uh, what was, what was I talking about? Oh, right, uh, Thanos. Thanos had been captured and was in chains in some dungeon in Mishra's fortress. He was in a small room with two grates, one to let in light and another to let out waste. Thanos had been imprisoned for several days before Ashnod came to interrogate him. She wanted to talk with him, not torture him, but she needed to look like she was actually interrogating him, so she just would randomly zap him. They talked, and from, Ash and from Ashnod, Thanos learned the Brotherhood of Gix had been playing both sides of the war against each other. They talked of other, less important things, and in the end, Ashnod agreed to let Thanos escape, and she slipped him the materials to recreate her paint staff from way back when, in like, last week, or two weeks ago, actually. Yeah, now that I'm recording this, this actually doesn't make, make much sense. You, you have to, like, read the section. She lets him escape and, uh, gives him materials to, uh, Chapter 25 and a half, Phyrexia's Exchange Program, Part 2. One month later, Ashnod was summoned before Mishra, and this is a one month after um, Thanos escaped. The Brotherhood of Gix was firmly cemented as part of Mishra's court and his most uh, trusted advisors. They had found out that Ashnod had helped Thanos escape five nights previously. Oh. Okay, never mind. Thanos had escaped a week ago, 
but this is a month after the interrogation. Mishra banished Ashnod, and she will return at the very end of our tale. Uh, in like... 10, 10, 15 minutes, something like that. She'll return. Chapter 26 Back to Base Thanos had almost made it to the border when the dragon engine caught up with him. It shot liquid flame at him, killing his horse and throwing him to the ground. That is when the Clockwork Avens came to save the day. They had been created to combat the airborne dragon engines shortly after Thanos was captured, so he had no idea they existed. Uh, but they were very helpful. They dodged every attack the dragon engine threw at them, including flames, flailing, and more flames. They poked holes in its wings and armor till it crashed to the ground in a ball of flame. Chapter 26 and a half, back at base. Urza's hair had become pure white, and I'm pretty sure he's in his, like, late 30s, early 40s at this point, and he's, like, completely Albert Einstein. Thanos had returned, and Urza and him were discussing what to do with Harbin, Urza's son. He wanted to be an ornithopter pilot. Kayla and Urza didn't want him getting hurt or killed in the war, but Thanos counseled on letting the boy get trained, then assign him to jobs out of danger. Harbin being a pilot is important, um, by the way, that's why I'm mentioning it. Thanos also made Urza aware of the Brotherhood of Gix being double agents, and as they were talking, a messenger burst in with the news that Mishra's army was on the move but it was heading west to Dorisia City and the Mages of the Third Path. I'm, I'm just going to say chapter 26 and a half is a little weird. It's just kind of like throwing all the things together that Thanos learned. So the Brotherhood of Gix has been eradicated from Urza's leadership circle and... Mishra is about to attack Teresia City and the Third Path, which is very important because that's the next chapter. Speaking of which... Chapter 27, and another one bites the dust. Teresia's white walls were burning. Now, I don't know how that's possible because they were made of stone, but that's what the book says. The White Walls were burning. Mishra's army had besieged the city the previous year. Their defenses were strong, but they couldn't keep out the enemy within. The Brotherhood of Gix had betrayed them and opened the gates to the enemy. Herkel, who was one of the co-founders of Latinam, used her newfound magic to evaporate the first of the few dragon engines entering the city. Unfortunately, the human soldiers accompanying the dragon engine did not disappear and stabbed her to death before she could escape. The rest of Mishra's forces entered the city and began to burn it to the ground. Felden and Lauren managed to escape the city, but basically everyone else died or captured. Died or was captured. Felden gave Lauren the Golgothian Silex, which is the world-ending magic bowl, um, to keep safe because he knew she wouldn't be able to use it. 
A month later, Lauren was captured by the exiled Ashnod, who had journeyed to that land to kill people, and Ashnod tortured her until she revealed the secrets of the Silex. So now, Ashnod has the Silex and knows how to use it, so she's like magic and, and stuff. Chapter 28. Urza Sunk a Continent Harbin, Urza's son, had just crashed his ornithopter. It wasn't his fault, though. He had been caught in hurricane-level storms off the continent of Teresier. He crash-landed on the island of Argoth. I'm not sure exactly how big Argoth was, but it does have its own tectonic plate, so it was either a small continent, about Australia-sized, or it was a subcontinent like India, which is probably closer to like Greenland sized. Argoth was covered in a giant jungle and filled with all manner of creatures from giant slugs to tree people. Its upper canopy was so thick you could easily walk around on it. Now, back to Harbin. He had crash landed onto Argoth, which was under the protection of the nature spirit Titania who was like the soul of the island of Argoth, and souls is another thing we will be discussing. Not soon, because you have to have some more background information, but she is the soul of Argoth, like the embodiment of the land. Titania spoke for Gaia, uh, who spoke for all of nature. Gaia is very important to Dominaria because she is what's known as the world soul of Dominaria. Titania is only really important in this story. Uh, then she disappears after the end of this. Anyway, Titania had a rule about people who accidentally stumbled onto the island. Leave them alone. Unless they harm the forest, then they must die. This was the rule of the elves who lived on Argoth. They had served as Titania's eyes and ears, though she did have a direct connection to the land, so she probably didn't even need the elves. Harbin was currently being watched by one of these elves, and her name was Gwenna. Yeah, Gwenna. And she liked Harbin. Not romantically or anything. She just didn't want to kill him, because killing people for no reason, or I guess good reason, is kind of crappy. No one really likes it. So when he went down to chop a living tree, she dropped a recently dead tree in his path. He used that instead to repair his ornithopter, and he flew off back to the main continent. Chapter 29 Strip Mine Harbin returned to Urza, his father, with news of the island of Argoth. Argoth was a rich land of timber and ore that they could use to tip the war in their favor. Let's take a moment to step back from the story for a second and look at the effect the war is having on the land. I think the flavor text for Strip Mine says it all. And I quote, Unlike previous conflicts, the war between Urza and Mishra made Dominaria itself a casualty of the war. The Brothers' War only took place on one continent, that being Teresier but it had a lasting impact on the whole of Dominaria for an entire age. 
and even the plains surrounding Dominaria. This is, like, major. The land was stripped of any forests and all usable materials. The northern border of Yodia was turned into a desert of black glass, like the sand is glass now, it's so hot. And in many places it rained acid from a dark polluted sky. Chapter 29.5 Phyrexia's Exchange Program, Part 3 Teresia City had been sacked, and all their findings on magic and mystery was now in Mishra's hands. He had hoped there would be something of use, but he didn't believe in wizard's hocus-pocus, and his empire was falling apart. He was running out of resources. His last hope had been finding some power in Teresia City to defeat his brother. But there was no hidden power. Nothing there. Or at least that's what he thought. It was at this point that Mishra agreed to have his body Phyrexianized. Now, I know I mentioned this earlier, um, but I was looking through and I actually realized I did find a definitive time. It is this time. Ashnot has been banished and uh, Mishra's fallen apart. His lungs were slowly failing from lack of good air and he was growing quite rotund. After he was phyrexinized, he just became a puppet of the puppet master himself, Gix. Speaking of Gix... Chess pieces. The year is 57 AR. Gix was in the caverns of Coilus with his two servants. One, a spy in Urza's court who had managed to escape the Brotherhood purge. The other was one of Mishra's close advisors. Through the former, Gix learned of Argoth and he transferred the information over to uh, Mishra's advisor. He then instructed the first spy to be captured and reveal under torture that Mishra knew of Argoth and was going to use its resources to defeat Urza. He was going to force the brothers into a final battle, then he would finish the victor. Chapter 30 and a half. The Death of Argoth, Part 1. Gwenna was uh, the elf who had helped Ar- Harbin live and prepare his ornithopter, was probably feeling like an idiot when a fleet of ornithopters descended from a sky, from the sky, and another fleet of ships sailed out of a stormy sea to the verdant island of Argoth. Urza unloaded his army of machines and got right to work harvesting away the, the land, the land's abundant resources. Gwenna sent a message, messenger back to Titania's court to await instructions, but she knew it was already too late. Argoth was doomed. Chapter 30, Half and a Half Ashnod had finally gotten the secrets of the Silex from Lauren. It was finally time for her to return to Mishra. Chapter 30, A Half, A Half, A Half This is not working. I'm going to have to come up with a new strategy. The spy the Gix sent to be captured had been captured and revealed that Mishra knew of Argoth and was heading there to capture its resources. Blah, blah, blah. You get the idea.
Chapter 31 The Death of Argoth Part 2 Harbin was summoned to Titania's court and was basically told to get the hell out of my forest or else. He was then granted safe passage back to his camp, told everyone's Titania's message, and then refused to get the hell out of her forest or else. Nothing happened because Urza has like an army of death machines and what you gonna do about it, tree people. Chapter 31 and a half Ashnod's Return Mishra was gone when Ashnod arrived, so she got passage on a ship that was heading for Argoth. She arrived in what used to be a lush jungle. It was now a barren landscape of black glass and jagged rocks. Mishra gave her a place to stay, but refused to hear anything else she had to say. He also had the Brotherhood of Gix take a fake Silex that she had presented to Mishra, and she kept the real Golgothian Silex safe with her. Chapter 32 The Road to Apocalypse Titania was dying, or more accurately, Argoth was dying, and Titania was dying with it. Or maybe it's the other way around, I don't really know. Either way, both Argoth and Titania were dying. Ashnod had gotten a bunch of elves to take boats from, to Urza's, take boats to Urza's boatyards on the mainland and attack them. Among these elves was Gwenna. Taking these boats almost definitely saved these elves' lives, otherwise they would have been killed in the final battle along with everyone else. Hajar, who was Mishra's faithful friend and bodyguard, was also going to the boats to help lead the elves to their targets. This also saved his life. Chapter 32 and a half, Paths Diverging Harbin was sent home, which saved his life, and his descendants, and by extent Urza's descendants, will live on and have much to do with the Ice Age that enveloped the plain after Urza's ruinous blast. Chapter 32 and a half and a half. The Argoth natives had decided Urza was a bigger threat and were going to attack him instead of Mishra. After that, Mishra was going to move in for the kill. The final battle was drawing close. They never really stood a chance. There were elves, centaurs, wild beasts, tree folk. They even had a giant elemental. It just wasn't enough. Urza had brought his own giant, a titan of stone. The, the elemental and the giant fought in a titanic battle. They both fell, and when their titan fell, the elves broke and fled. They would all die at the end of... Urza and Mishra's final battle. In fact, every living thing on Argoth died the final day of the Brothers' War. Prologue. Opposites attract. The prologue of the Brothers' War takes place right before the final battle, and instead of putting it at the beginning where people would probably forget it. I decided to put it where it actually fit in the timeline. Also, I I uh, kind of forgot about it until now, so here it is. 
"'Twas the night before the end of the world. Two armies were gathered on either side of a valley. In the valley's base there were two titans, one of stone and metal, one of wood and vine. It was there that Taunus and Ashnod met. Ashnod had come bearing gifts, but Taunus was too suspicious. They talked of their masters, their mad masters, Urza and Mishra, but in the end they left with nothing resolved. Chapter 33, Paths Converging The final battle began before dawn. The ground troops crashed into each other, and the same happened in the air. Urza had dragon engines, winged and not so winged, and he had masses of transmogrants, and terrible ground-breaking engines bringing up the rear. Urza had the Triskelions in the center with primal clay automatons, Urza's Avengers, and Yodian soldiers, and uh, the small sentinels in mobile groups, kind of like phalanxes, actually, um, that the Greeks and later Romans, actually everyone used them. They were like phalanxes. Actually, that may be the point. They're small mobile groups. In the sky, there were clockwork avens and ornithopters, and those weird four-part Voltron machines called... Tetravani. I still can't pronounce it. It's Tetravani. The two armies crashed together. Then in the midst of the fighting, all hell broke loose when all the machines on the battlefield stopped obeying orders. Like, just, they they wouldn't do it. Tried to kill everyone. Thanos met Ashnod, and they tried to figure out what was going wrong. It was then that Gix finally revealed himself. It was his time, his time to take the two halves of the Power Stone that Urza and Mishra kept and return to Phyrexia. He was the one who was causing all the automatons to go haywire and just kill everything. After explaining his diabolical plan, he tried to kill the pair of apprentices. Ashnod was too fast for him and stopped him dead in his tracks with her staff. She gave the Golgothian Silex to Thanos and told him to give it to Urza and fill it with the memories of the land. Chapter 34 The Not-So-Final Battle Urza and Mishra met on the field of battle, surprisingly not for the last time. Mishra attacked and almost killed Urza, and, he st- and as he stood over him gloating, Urza just stopped caring. He stopped caring about everything, really. About being better, about living, just in general. He just he stopped caring. He looked deep inside of himself and said, Screw it. He absorbed the energy into the Might Stone and then blasted it into Mishra with a giant fireball. The fireball burned away Mishra's flesh, revealing the metal framework beneath. Mishra was no longer Mishra. He was Phyrexian. Urza's brother had died long ago, and Urza had just begun to realize it. Tano staggered up and gave him the Silex, and instructed him on how to use it. 
At this point, Urza was confronted with a choice. Flee and prolong the war, destroying the rest of the land, or he could stay and end it. He could just end it all. It would end him, but then again, it would be an end. He told Thanos to find a place to hide, and then he chose the second option. He just ended it. Just as Mishra was tearing back up the hill with his lower body fused to a dragon engine, Urza sat and filled the Silex with all the memories of the land. Argive, Corliss, Yodia, Toscania's camp, and many, many more. He filled the Silex up to the brim, and then he let it all go. It was at that moment that Argoth finally died. There was a blinding flash, searing heat, an explosion that cracked Argoth's tectonic plate. Then everything was still. Absolutely still. Epilogue. Beginning of the beginning. Urza started a 30-year-long war that ravaged his home continent and then ended said war with a blast that sunk a continent and plunged the planet into an ice age, followed immediately by a flood age. His punishment, well, it wasn't damnation or eternal torture. No, he actually survived. He survived and became a virtual god. He became a planeswalker. A few years later, he returned to Dominaria after his ascension to let Thanos out of his hiding place. Thanos also had survived, and I believe is a major player in the Ice Age, which is what follows directly after the Brothers' War. Thanos had built a containment cell for Mishra um, because he figured Urza wouldn't want to kill Mishra after he won, uh, but he hid in it himself because it was indestructible. He then left the plane, or Urza then left the plane, just as the first few flakes of snow fell from the sky onto a blasted landscape. That was a full recounting of the Brothers' War. If you like them, just let me know. But I, I suggest you get the book. Um, it's pretty good. I got it on Kindle for like $7. So that was the Brothers' War. I plan to cover Planeswalker, which is the next book in the series. It's a four-part series, but I plan to cover Planeswalker next. If you guys would like me to, I can cover Ice Age next, which is what technically covers, or technically comes right after the Brothers' War. I plan to cover Planeswalker. Uh, so, that's it. Let me know what you uh, think in any way you can. That's all, folks. See you next week. <laughs>